Pastor Wally to come and to, to preach. So can we give it up for Pastor Wally as he comes and brings the word? Good morning, church. Good morning, Zoomers. And all you precious in the rumors, good morning. With everything that's been sung and said here this morning, I don't have much to say. But I'm a wordy guy, so I'm going to say it anyway. I want to talk with you this morning about the kingdom of God. But first, before I get into this, I uh, want to give you a little thought or two from some personal things. Lanigale and I have a place uh, in our home, uh, and we've named it Ziklag. And the reason we named it Ziklag is because in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, when King David was about to be stoned by his men, when they came back to Ziklag and found it burned to his fellows were just about ready to say, we've lost everything, and so you're going to lose your life. It was there, the Bible says, that David strengthened himself in the Lord at Ziklag. And it's kind of been a running family. Langell would come in from work and she would look at me and she'd say, you've been to Ziklag, haven't you? Because that's where I go for my quiet time. That's where I go for my study time and all my preparation. And I just say that to let you know I've been to Ziklag a lot this week. And I also want to tell you something that I, 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 I heard some, oh man, maybe 40 years ago. My mentor, Pastor Rick Merrill, told me this, uh, an experience that he had about preaching. And I listened to him. I listened to everything that this man told me. He's now with the Lord, and, but he, he lives on in my heart. He was a young evangelist, a graduate of a Prairie, uh, Prairie View Bible College in Canada, and he was traveling in Canada preaching Bible meetings. And he happened to be in one place, and this particular church had a remote camp facility out away from town and just a rough, rugged cabin or meeting place, and several of the people were there gathered uh, kneeling in prayer, praying. And he looked at his watch and he thought, well, I need to go back to town, get ready for tonight. And so he stood up and he announced to these people, I'm going to head back to town. I got to work up a message. And he said, this little, scrawny, scraggly-looking old woman got up off her knees and walked up to him 
and her hand was kind of trembling like that, and she put her finger right up next to his nose, and she said, Young man, you don't work them up, you pray them down. And this message has been prayed for. Do not be afraid, little flock. It's something that Jesus said to those gathered around him, and he had been teaching them. He'd been teaching them about being aware of the Pharisees. He'd been teaching them about, uh, don't worry, you know, it's what you find in Matthew in the Beatitudes. Don't worry about this, and don't worry about that. And in verse 32, there in, in Luke 12, he said, do not fear, little flock. It's, it's your Father's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. Um, your notes in the bulletin, I apologize for this. The very first scripture there says Timothy 1.7. That's 2 Timothy 1.7. That's 2 Timothy 1.7. And I would like to say about that, about fear, what it is, what it is, what, why we should never embrace fear. God has not given to us, my New American Standard says, a spirit of timidity. Your other translations will say a spirit of fear. A, a, a good way to look at that is to think he's not given us a spirit of cowardice but of love and a strong, sound mind. New American Standard says, a disciplined mind. And that's exactly who we are to be in the kingdom of God. We are to be upright people, fearing nothing, fearing nobody. Now, we're not talking about running across I-35 at rush hour traffic and not being afraid. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about being afraid when you hear a rattlesnake rattle. Charlie was telling us the other days, guy out is a friend of yours in Arizona. He jogs in the desert and he's learned something. The Lord helps him with it. He hears those rattlesnakes rattling and he's able just to kind of elevate just a little bit more than he normally would and go right over him. But that's not the fear we're talking about. And the spirit of love, we are always, 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 I can't stress this enough, to be loving, benevolent people. Loving, benevolent people. And here's the tough pill to swallow. Pray for your enemies. If they're hungry, feed them. Give them water to drink, because in doing so, you're going to heap up burning coals on top of their head, Proverbs says, and the Lord will reward you. The second scripture I want to talk to you about why we are not to fear is 1 John 4, 18. 
And on the notes, I've, I've taken the liberty to put it down there from the revised English version. I never heard of that Bible before. And it's a rather interesting read, and I like a lot of the phraseology. English there is the United Kingdom. And this is mainly um, their scholars, their church people, and uh, they had to put a bit of the Irish in there as well. The Irish scholars are in there as well. But listen to how this reads. In love there is no room for fear. Quite a statement right there. In love there is no room for fear. Indeed, perfect love banishes fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And a better way to understand that is inner torment. Why did, I, why, did I, why did I do that? Why didn't I share Jesus at that moment? I had the time to do it, Michael. Why didn't I do it? That's the fear we're talking about. That's the torment we're talking about, the punishment we're talking about. And lastly, anyone who is afraid has not attained to love in its perfection. Or, as we've learned that, perfect love casts out all fear. So fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Have you ever asked yourself that? What is the kingdom of God? Let me give you just a brief description. We sang about it all morning long. Every word that was spoken here to us to encourage our hearts is the kingdom of God. And do you realize everything we've done here so far has not got anything to do per se with church? We are the church wherever we are. It's not the central location. But the gist of the matter is, and this is where God's been stirring me up lately, God wants us to focus on being kingdom people, living our lives, governing ourselves by kingdom principles. And everything that's not a kingdom principle, shun. Shun. What is this kingdom of God? Well, first let's look at what it's not. Romans 14, 17 simply tells us for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The eating and drinking there is a reference, I believe, to Old Testament dietary laws. Look, don't, don't weight yourself down with that. That's, it's not what it's about. And it's not about adhering to religious traditions. I love the Foursquare Church. I love it. My mentor, it was his first Foursquare Church that he pastored. It was a struggling little, it was just out on a sand dune on the West Mesa of Albuquerque. And we met in a mobile home. But I love the Foursquare Church. They've got a sound method of government. A lot of people say, well, I don't like the Foursquare government because the people don't get to vote. Let me tell you what, four square people, you can vote. You can vote with your shoes and you can vote with your wallet. You can choose to walk with us and support us or choose not. You can vote. But we've got a sound church council. 
and they rotate and they make sound decisions for us because they're very carefully selected. By whom? By you. You do get to vote about that. And it is sound. But I don't live by four square traditions. You ladies don't wear the uniforms that they wore a hundred years ago. And all, and all the ladies said, and the kingdom of God is not necessarily denominational scriptural interpretations or theological doctrines, although it could be. Again, I'm going to refer to Charlie Helmick because he gave us a perfect illustration of that in our small group meeting, and so did Drexel Hurt. Charlie said he was part of, it was a Baptist church, right? Or was it the gathering of the, the Baptist seminary? They were having these really powerful meetings and things. But a guy at the altar call would always get up and walk out. And one day Charlie followed him out. And he went in the restroom. And Charlie just approached him and said, Brother, don't you just really want to get saved? He said, yeah, but I can't. Charlie said, what do you mean you can't? The guy said, I smoke. I can't be safe. I smoke. Charlie led him to the Lord. That brother got set free. He was bound by some sort of a, a ruling, a denominational thing. I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. You know, that kind of junk. Drexel recounted an incident where he was in a Baptist church, and uh, lo and behold, the fellow that owned the town's liquor store came to church one morning. No one greeted him. No one said a word to him. The pastor didn't acknowledge his presence. They never saw him again. But the kingdom of God, people, is righteousness, and it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. One of the first scriptures I learned, and man, I loved it. Micah 6.8, we used to sing it. He has shown the old man what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? And that's it right there. Do the right thing. Why do we? You remember several Sunday mornings from this pulpit, Brother Gary would say, family, why do we do the right thing? What's the answer? Because it's the right thing to do. Because it is the right thing to do. Acts 10.38. Peter is in the house of an Italian guy, a.k.a. Gentile. And he's preaching the gospel. And he said this about his Lord. He said, you know, you, you've heard 
of this Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with power, and he went out everywhere, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, doing good, doing good. And I want to stress something here to y'all, too, this morning. When you read the Gospels, you don't see Jesus referring to the things that he did as miracles. He said, greater works than these shall you do. Two weeks ago, Pastor Rudy taught us, faith is the conviction of the truth. Hope, expectation of good, good. And belief is to be persuaded. I'll ask you a question, and you answer this in your heart of hearts, church. Are you persuaded that greater works than the works that Jesus did you shall do? Think about that. And here's three barriers to that believing. You doubt. You're concerned about being discomforted, about being squeezed out of your comfort zone. Sidebar issue here. Squeezed out. If I had a bottle of ketchup right here, fellas, you know, one of those sweet, and I shook it up real good and I rushed over here and I squeezed at you, what would come out? Ketchup would come out. Church, I'm going to tell you what you're faithful to put into yourselves each and every day. When this world squeezes you, you can't hold it in. If it's in there, it's going to come out of you. Put the word of God into you each and every day. Floor and pray each and every day and prepare yourself to be sons and daughters of the kingdom. Here's a good example of that. The scribe Ezra. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, it simply says this. For Ezra had heard his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in all of Israel its statutes and its judgments. Can we do any less than Ezra the scribe? Because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do those sorts of things. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to love people, particularly the unlovely. You want to get a good view of what it's like to love the unlovely, hook up with Ron and Phyllis and Lanigale and I and a few others, and on the first Friday night of the month, we go downtown to Dallas to the Dallas International Street Church and intermingle with those people. And it doesn't take you long to find out they're not unlovely at all.
They're just destitute and without hope. That doesn't constitute them being unlovely. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. Loving kindness. Jesus taught us to love one another. A new commandment I give to you, says in John 13, 34, that you love one another just in the same manner. But in verse 35, he says, and here's the clincher for us. By this, your love for one another, will the world know that you're mine. Now, if you don't tell somebody that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do they know? I heard one preacher say this. He said, you know, if you're sitting here this morning, you're saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, and you really love Jesus, and you know he loves you, please notify your face. <laughs> and what does it mean to walk humbly with your God? What did Jesus teach us? Blessed are the poor in spirit and on and on. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the kingdom. When you're in an argument or some altercation, maybe not an altercation, just maybe a heated up disagreement over a certain thing. Is it really important that you win? Just asking. Is it important that you win? In these arguments and things, can we, should we not start searching for things that people say in those moments that are, they're opposing us? Can we honestly say that we're open enough to say, you know, Kathy, I, I see what you're saying there. I, I, I get that. Gosh, I never saw that before. Or do are we so dogmatic that we just have to shove our opinion down one's throat? Very early in our marriage, Benigail and I were out with a couple, and um, he was deep south. And he wouldn't admit it, but every time he opened his mouth, you knew that he was extremely prejudiced against black people, against intermarriages, yada, 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 yada. Those immigrants come to the United States. My God, they ought to speak English. What's the matter with them? You know, on, just like that. So I began to oppose him, and it began to get really heated up. And I don't quite know how that evening ended, but on the way home. The word of wisdom spoke to me. She happened to be sitting right next to me in the car. <laughs> and she simply said, Wally, you can't shove your opinions down other people's throats. That's not the way to get your point across, dear I learned, I learned the lesson. The kingdom of God is about us 
seeking. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all of these things shall be added unto you. And I think too often, people, we lightly dismiss what the reference is there to things. But Paul got it. Paul wrote and said, with food and raiment, I'm content. I know what it's like to be shipwrecked. I know what it's like to float on a log to an island, to be bit by a snake. But I know what it's like to be a high roller, too. But he said, with, with food and clothing, I'm content. Did not say anything about shelter? What did Jesus say about the foxes? You know, they've got their holes and this and that, but the Son of Man's got nowhere to lay his head. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things, everything that we need, everything that's a necessity to our good living. You know, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget the multitude of his benefits. He has forgiven all of my iniquities. He heals all of my diseases. Zoomers, he heals all of our diseases. And I'm praying for some of you that I know you're battling some things. He heals all of our diseases. He has, past tense, redeemed my life from the pit. And he has crowned me with loving kindness and tender mercy. And lastly, and you only find this in King James, I really appreciate this. It says, he satisfies the desires of my mouth with only good things so that my youth is renewed as an eagle. Man, I like that one. Annette, I like that one. I still, I'm young at heart. I can't run anymore. I can't do any of those kinds of things anymore. If I look up and I'm working overhead or something, I've got to lower my head real slow or I'll get dizzy and fall down and crack my ribs, you know. <laughs> and I want to read a, uh, just a scripture here from Matthew chapter 7. Uh, let me get over there. I had all these scriptures marked, and you know what? I've read them so much I'm not even going to where they're at, but Matthew 7. Well, I'm going to go back to 6, actually, so we get the full gist of this. Matthew 6, and I'm going to read 33 and 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, and like Michael taught us yesterday, when you see the word therefore, Go back up a, a verse or two and see what it's there for. See what they're talking about. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. And what did Paul say? Be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. You can, if you can worry today about tomorrow, you can pray today for tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, that ought to be a resounding amen right there. We're living in times of trouble. And the, and the reason I, I'm so 
about talking about the kingdom of God is that's the only thing that's going to stand. Now, I will tell you this. I am patriotic to this degree. I love America. I'm so thankful for my birthright, you know. I had nothing to do with my birthright, but I was born in America. And even though we're on a downward spiral to Sheol right now, it's still the best place on the planet to hang your hat. Amen? But the swamp never got drained. And our political picture is putrid. I am one who will not put any hope in politics. I remain a patriot for America, but I can't get involved in politics. Now, I know some of you are political activists, and the Lord cheers you on and fuels you. Praise God for that. I are not one of those. But I tell you what I do do for America. Pray for our leaders. I listened to Dutch Sheets. <laughs> Sweet little sister Marceline phoned us the other day. Atlanta girl talked to her. You know, she's in North or South Carolina with another daughter staying for a while, and she encouraged us. She said, you and Wally, Wally, you got to listen to Dutch Sheets. You got to listen to it from 420, from April the 22nd. And she said, it's only 15 minutes, only 15 minutes. So the next day we did listen to it, and it is only 15 minutes, and it's while anybody's time. You might want to do that. YouTube, Doug Sheets, Sheets, uh, from April 22nd. His message was, yes, we should be praying for America, but he, he threw this out, and I never thought of this before. Pray for your city. Pray for your city. So we've begun starting to pray for Duncanville. We did yesterday at the table and from, for some other cities. Because tomorrow has got enough trouble of its own. In Matthew, the next chapter 7 and verse 7, 8, here it is. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. And after he goes through the thing about you good fathers, if your son asks for an egg, you're not going to give him a rock. Or, you know, if he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a serpent. In verse 11, he caps that off and says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? Charles Stanley said, and a little comment I read by him, we should pray every day for the Holy Spirit to guide us. Pastor Phil challenged us a couple of weeks ago and says, Do you, have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to pray through you? Have you? I never have. I started doing it, though, Phil. Honestly, I did. And a lot of times it's for guidance and things like that. But a lot of times I'm just praying in the Spirit. But I pray for the nation. And, that's, and I do it with a zeal. I do it with a zeal. I'm going to give you a quote from an author I've been reading. This is a wonderful book, and I suggest it for anybody here. The Unshakable Kingdom and the Unchanging Person. 
the author of East Jones. He died in 1973 at the age of 89. But he said this, Modern man does not have a clue. Modern man does not have a clue. He knows everything about life except how to live it. Think about that. Modern man knows everything about life except how to live it. In Luke 18, 46, Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. Pilate was grilling him, you know, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he said, because if it was, these dudes that had been running with me, they'd rise up and beat the tar out of you guys. But my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom originated from somewhere else. And E. Stanley Jones says it originated in the heart of God and it didn't come out of this world as its source. Listen, in the beginning, in the beginning, while the earth was void and without form and the spirit of God hovered over the waters, the kingdom of God was before the church. Before Peter gave that powerful testimony, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Before then, the kingdom of God was. The kingdom of God existed prior to the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Let that roll over you and sink into your hearts. Before the lamb that was slain, for the, before the foundation of the world, the kingdom of God was. Before the lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world, the kingdom of God was. Jesus said, in Luke 17, 20, I believe, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Other translations will say it's within you. Do you know why it's within you? Because it was put into you when you were born. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has put eternity into our hearts it's the riddle of life that God placed into us it's part of our spiritual DNA now the problem with the world is is that there's a lot of people in this world that are trying to figure out the riddle but they've got wrong methods and wrong means, and they're using wrong stuff to try to figure it out. One preacher hung his Bible up, held his Bible up like this and simply proclaimed to his congregation, we can't lose with the stuff we use. The whole foundation, the whole truth of everything is in this book. From Genesis to Maps, it's the book, 
And we are part of this kingdom. We are all a part of this incredible kingdom of God. If you have invited that lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, if you've invited him here into your heart, then you're a vivid, valid part of the kingdom of God. We have an integral part of this kingdom. And we have a mission. And I want to share with you that mission. Second Peter, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it is First Peter, chapter 2. And I'm going to read, again, I'm reading from the New American Standard. By the way, Rudy always says, reading from the New American Standard, 1995. Okay. I, I have 95, but it's wee little Bible, a little slim line, and I got to squint unless I'm in bright light to, to read the pages, and it's laid out paragraphically. Makes it a little bit harder to find certain verses. So I have this Bible, circa 1960 and 70. It's the, it's the first translation of it. And I can tell you I treasure this Bible because... Uh, some of you, I forward the uh, newsletter from Jim Yost. He's in um, um, uh, Papua, Indonesia. Been there since the 80s. And I met him and his wife, Joan, in a church in Albuquerque, and they gave me this Bible some 40 years ago. I've worn the cover off of it once, and I've, I had it recovered. Hidden Treasures Bible Store in Duncanville has got this really cool thing. You take your Bible in, and they send it to a company in Mississippi, and they'll recover it with better leather than what you had on it in the beginning. So my goal is before Jesus calls me home, I want to wear this cover off it too. But Peter says to these Jews that were on the run, from they're what's called the diaspora, the dispersed ones, Verse, beginning in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into this marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among all the Gentiles. And I would just say right there, keep your behavior excellent amongst all non-believers so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers or goody-two-shoes or whatever label they put on us that believe, pew jumpers and holy rollers and all of that stuff, they may, on account of your good deeds, and it's implied there that they see you doing the good words that they hear you speaking, 
as they observe them, glorify God in the day of hesitation. Glorify God. Hebrews 12.28 says, we are the recipients, our inheritance is an unshakable kingdom. And the Lord of that unshakable kingdom is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read an excerpt from this book. Bear in mind that this author left the earth in 1973. And he says this. And, and you'll, you'll see where this has dated him. When speaking to President Roosevelt on behalf of the National Christian Mission, I said, Mr. President, you are trying to change the outer life of America. For that we are grateful. Some of us are trying to change the inner life of America, the character. We think that the outer life of the nation rests upon that imponderable thing called character. If the character breaks, the confidence breaks. If the confidence breaks, the country breaks. So he said this to the president. So if we can't do what we are trying to do, you can't do what you're trying to do. The president nodded a hearty approval. And then Stanley Jones, E. Stanley Jones, adds this caveat. The greatest enemy of America is not Russia. And I will add in this 21st century, nor is it Iran, nor is it China. And for those of us that live in the United States of America, please hear me, church. It is not the Democratic Party. Our greatest enemy is the coming apart at the seams of our moral life. That's our greatest enemy. And I will close by just reiterating, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you this kingdom. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, church, but I feel completely washed in the word this morning. Thank you, Pastor Wally. Incredible word this morning. Let me just pray for our time here today, and then we'll let you uh, be released. Please put your hands out just as a um, receiving, as, as a form of surrender, as a form of God poured out. And I'm echoing, Pastor Ron, your, your statement this morning that you saw Jesus, and he's here to answer every single need. So, Father, right now, we thank you for this incredible time in your house, from the worship, from magnifying you in worship, from praising you, God, from receiving the word here today, from just being reminded of your kingdom, being reminded that we are completely in love and fear has no place. 
So, Father, right now in, in your name, I speak to every single anxiety, every depression, every issue of the mind to be completely washed in your power and your joy and in your might. Bring clarity. Bring confidence, Father. Bring a complete bathing in your peace. I speak to everybody here today that's in need of a miracle. Every disease, every sickness from those here present, those watching online, Father, that you would touch their body supernaturally, resurrecting, Father, to every single thing that needs to be in perfect alignment in your name. God, I speak to every financial situation in the room here today, and thank you for the prosperity that you've delight in seeing in your children. Father, I speak to every relationship in this room here today, and thank you for the blessing and the protection that's upon every single family, every single relationship that is in this room. And as we go out from this place here today, not only are we challenged and encouraged by the word here, here today, but Father, we go in your power, we go in your love, that the world can see in our good deeds that there's a Father in heaven that loves them. And that love is powerful. That love casts out fear. That love brings a hope. So thank you, Father. May we go in your truth and in your peace here today. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you, family. Have a wonderful day.